Hi, this is Glenn Tipton from Judas Priest, and you're listening to the Classic Rock and Metal Podcast. This is Bip Brad from Saxon, you're listening to the Classic Rock and Metal Podcast. Yeah, yeah. Hi, this is Rock Goddess, and you're listening to Classic Rock. Oh, for God's sake. Why, why are you saying it like that? <laughs> okay. Oh, I can't now. Go. Hi. Hi. This, this is, is your rock, rock goddess. Sorry, one more time. Right, go. Hi, this is Rock Goddess, and you're listening to the Classic Rock and Metal Podcast. This is the Classic Rock and Metal Podcast, featuring all your favorite bands from the 70s and 80s. The old stuff, the new stuff, the news, interviews, everything you need for your hard rock and metal fix. Right here, right now. Hello, hello, you wonderful people, and welcome to another classic rock and metal podcast. It's June, so in this neck of the woods, all the talk is of the summer festivals, none of which conjures up more memories for us lot than the hallowed turf of Castle Donington in Leicestershire. It's 35 years since the first Monsters of Rock show featured Rainbow as the headliner and since then anyone who is or was anyone has graced the stage there. It's rebranded as Download these days and is of course a three day affair or six if you're top and telling it with a proper skive off work but it's still regarded as the place to be by all the bands still on the circuit so in celebration of that we'll give thanks in this show with a few live tracks recorded there over the years. Aside from that, we've got three great interviews for you from artists who've all gone away for long periods at some point and are now back to remind you why you missed them so much. First up, it's Rock Goddess, who've been laying low since 1986 and came back with a bang last month, playing shows in Europe and the UK and promising a new album soon. After some cajoling, they tell us what they've been up to, but only once we'd broken out the sodium pentothal. Why not? Well, it's what, for me personally, I... Um, my <laughs> Next up, old school Geordie Power trio Raven have a great new record out and are getting ready to kick ass on the touring circuit again. I took bassist and vocalist John Gallagher down memory lane where he expressed his love for the audiences of the North East's working men's clubs where the young band cut their teeth back in the 70s and early 80s. Then they'd come up with beer coasters and they'd write songs on for you to do. So you'd look and it would say Irish Star or Born to be Wild. Or more often than not, when it was in Sunderland, it would say fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Madame X, the LA hair band you may have blinked and missed in the mid 80s, but before they vanished, most of us remember their legendary appearance on the British music show ECT. Again, AWOL for nearly 30 years, they resurfaced recently with the full original lineup, and in an interview with singer Brett Kaiser that simply cannot be missed, we talk about their plans for invading your world again and what went wrong back then, including not always listening to someone else's creative ideas, especially when they suggest a little person doing acrobatics in your music video. Well, let me tell you something about that. You know when you do a video, you do it like 50 times to get all the different <laughs> angles. Yeah. So I had to catch them like 50 times. Well, about the 17th time or whatever, the little guy was heavy. I mean, he was heavy. You know, they were all solid. So I dropped them. <laughs> 
tunes from all of the above, of course, but let's start with one of those Donington cuts from a band who at the time of this broadcast are still doing the rounds for now and have given the festival some of its premier moments over the years. Spare a thought for ACDC founder member Malcolm Young, who retired recently due to ill health, and raise a glass with this peach from 1991. Don't tell you a story about a woman I know. When it comes to love. Feels a show. She ain't exactly pretty. She ain't exactly small. Fuck you, 39 members. You can say she got it. Give it all you got, but we ain't even got to stop. Let her all out of one. 
Okay, first up, I'd just like to remind you, as always, that it is our pleasure to bring you the Classic Rock and Metal podcast every month, and I do mean that. But along the way, we do incur some significant costs, which in the past have become a bit prohibitive. So you can show your love and admiration for what we do, uh, assuming you do love and admire it, uh, and help grease the wheels by becoming a patron of the show. Uh, This basically means that for every show we produce, you do solemnly swear to give us a few shillings, and it can literally be just that, uh, by signing up online. The place to go is patreon.com, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N, like patron with an E, dot com slash rock podcast. So it's patreon.com slash rock podcast, which is all one word, or follow the link from our main website, which of course is classicrockpodcast.com, where you'll find uh, those all important links to our Twitter and Facebook pages too. So do please get in touch on the Facebook page. We're always open to a chat and do uh, and, and all that. So do have a look at the Patreon site as well. It does help enormously. Name checks, I've got this month for some new patrons uh, and that are uh, Scott Cooper, Steve Lee, Ewan Shanks, Simon Barwick, Glenn Bennett, Simon Sixsmith, Oliver Jones and Mike Anderton. Three of those guys will also be getting their free t-shirt uh, having pledged five dollars or more per show. Thank you to all of you, you've made life just that little bit easier. And so to the chat, and first up is Rock Goddess, which consists of sisters Jodie and Julie Turner with lifelong friend Tracy Lamb. The girls all learned to play together while still at school and hit the circuit at an age when most of us were still playing with the scale extric, with Jodie at 18 and Julie just 14. Their father, John Turner, steered the ship towards an appearance at Reading Festival in 1982, which resulted in a deal with A&M and their first album hit the shelves in 1983. However, Tracy left shortly afterwards and ended up doing a 12-year stint with girls' school while her old mates recorded album number two, Hell Hath No Fury, in 1984. They co-headlined the UK with Y&T and stayed on the road until Lamb's replacement, Dio Malley, herself left. The deal with A&M went sour and album number three went unfinished and as yet still unreleased. All quiet then until recently when the original Musketeers got back together to do a few shows and set about recording a new album. I caught up with all three of them and Father John Turner at the O2 in Islington just before their first London show in 32 years and started with the obvious question why now rock goddess is back Ooh. why now <laughs> why not i should have asked somebody specific shouldn't yes. i it's just like go left to right julie why now julie's probably the best one to answer that actually. why now well it's right for me personally i um my, when <laughs> <laughs> when the music stopped just initially so we had to have right. a break i got married and had a family, my children there, and now my kids are, are adults, I'm now ready to get on with the rest of my life doing doing the band, so it's right for me, personally. So you finished... 88, wasn't it? 87. 87. Oh, 87. You did one tour in 88, yeah. right, with Jodie Turner Band. So, oh, yeah. So, what got yeah. But Tracy, you, you mm. were doing a lot of stuff till about 2000, was it? Yes. Yeah. It's been less of a break for you. Yeah, I, I haven't really stopped playing. I, I only stopped playing for about four years, you know. Um, so, yeah, I was in girls' school from 87 till 1991 and then 93 to 2000. And um, <laughs> then I moved to Spain. I also had a career in fitness as well. I qualified in aerobics and I used to... Pilates teacher. Pilates, yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I used to be, you know, manager of health clubs and stuff for many years. Right. So I went out to Spain to open a gym for women, which I did. And then after that, I um, opened a bar, music bar, to promote bands, 
and I was always playing, you know, right. there at the bar as well, and teaching, teaching. So never stopped, really. Never stopped, just for a few years. But Jodie, what about you? Um, well, I did a few things after Rock Goddess, and then just went in a completely different direction. Um, not and took her on a non-musical career. Dabbled mm. in and out, but basically said, "No, I want a break from this." Right. We didn't get a huge amount of Rock Goddess back in the day. We got a little bit and then you were kind of gone, but a lot happened in a, in a fairly short space of yeah. time for the band. What was what was the, the big highlight for you guys? What was the, the best thing that happened? It's hard to say the best. All I think getting first. a record deal All our first, was a yeah. biggie. First festivals, first gigs, first recording. Okay. Yeah, Marquee. Now that mm. was special, the first Marquee. That was, oh. Fantastic. Never forget that night. And now, now we're doing all our firsts again after 32 years together, so it's like we're being reborn in a way. Yeah, because I was going to say, what are you most looking forward to about second time round? The, the same things, doing all the firsts together again, you know, like the first gigs, the first London show, the first festival, mm. the, the, the first Reformation album, you know. It's, it's very similar, but we're just a lot older. <laughs> and wiser. A bit older. Bit old. Bit old, yes, I'll get that. So I wanted to ask, what have you learnt from the last however many years that you, that is now going to make what got us different from the way it was before? That's a very good question. Yeah, that is a good question. But I'm on voice rest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jodie's pleading the fifth on that one. I think just by being older in itself, you're, I think you're a bit more together. Much Take things a bit more in your stride. Appreciate, appreciate it more. It yeah. more. Take more in. Yeah. Because yeah. back in the day, it was like... I love that expression. Well, you didn't take it in a lot of what we, I was doing. So we were so young. I look back and I'm very proud of what I did. Didn't really take a lot of it in because it was just the norm. So yes, this yes, time... Absolutely. I want, so to, I want to appreciate and take it all in this time. I, for me, that's probably one of the biggest things as well. Mm-hmm. Just appreciate really it. Because when I was your age, I wanted to be a, a rock star, and then okay. and always no 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 <laughs> when I was your age. But Back in the day, <laughs> so most people were still aspiring to be in rock and roll. But you got there really quick by most standards. So I can see what you mean. If it maybe it all happened, but it wasn't really quick because it was, was a lead up to it. But yeah, yeah, we we had to learn to play first. Yeah, yeah we yeah. Uh, did a lot of work to get to where we got to. Yeah, three years. We did a lot of tours. We did a lot of car vans, in and out gear, and you know, we did the what? What is the word I'm looking for? No idea. Stuff. (laughs) So, I haven't got the question. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of the drawbacks of being older. You forget. Yeah, mid sentence. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I, I was reading an old interview in Kerrang, which I brought with me. You mentioned at the time that you wouldn't write about politics and stuff like that. And, Still and the same. Yeah? Yeah. Because obviously you've lived a lot more and seen a lot, uh, you know, yeah. more. I like to keep them separate. There's one, one song, song, but that's animal politics. More of that kind of, not did you vote Tory or did, you know, that world politics. So, and I prefer to keep it that way. And there's a lot of sex and angst and which seems to be what all my songs are about. But a lot of people angry with that. You know, I'm I'm <laughs> speaking to the fans on on the you know on the social media sites, and you know when I put the old tracks up, 
oh god this reminds me of when I split up with that guy or yeah, you yeah. know when I split up with that girl and you know the fans can really identify with what Jodie's writing about the lyrics you know do you think that coming from a band which is all girls of which there were very very few and still aren't as many as perhaps there should be yeah, do you totally think agree. do you think that that makes a difference because obviously all of the the guy bands would they were all singing about the same thing but coming from a woman's perspective do you think that's made it made it made a difference because i remember you, i think you said once you're just writing similar songs but about blokes instead of girls but i don't think that was do you not why well, I, I think it's different coming from a woman. And quite quite aggressively as well, I am, yeah. And I think it's only later that I've realised, because that's the way I am, so it's, it's not a pretense, it's not, I'm not putting it on. If you knew me very well, you know that's just, I'm kind of I'm quite aggressive and blunt. <laughs> and, and, and so it, it would naturally, that would come out in my lyrics. So I never really thought about it until much later when people used to point it out. And I said, <coughs> Yeah, I guess girls don't really write maybe like that, but it's I guess, the way I am. Yeah, yeah, well. I think it's good, to be honest. Well, also, vocally, it was it was aggressive as well, wasn't it? Yes. The style, which which yes. it wasn't sort of... La, la, la. What was the first rehearsal like? Really Fab, wasn't it? It was fantastic. Emotional. I, I heard yeah. you say that, that, that everybody just kind of carried on. Yes, it was just like no no years had passed. It was weird. There was weird. no years in there, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> It was weird, it was but wonderful. Surreal, yeah. It was, and it's funny you were saying we were doing all the first together. We actually all learnt to play together, and I think that's kind of quite special. unusual, isn't it? Mm. So yeah, that yeah. chemistry thing we have, I think, can Came stem from that. from that a bit. Yeah, We've learned I to play so together too. as kids. I think so kind of too. transports you back 30 years as well. So I remember sitting behind the kit and looking at Jodie and Tracy, and I just felt like I was like 12. <laughs> it was really weird. When we kind of said that, oh, we'll, we'll set aside nine months for Juliet to kind of get it together again, two weeks later. Yeah, she was just, just like riding the bike. Back. She was back into it straight away. Amazing. So what, um, do we think there's going to be an album or some new tracks that people can We've download? We've recorded or? an album. Right, okay. Yeah, so, you know, we're just about to, to negotiate with companies. The album's almost finished. Um, the recording's all finished. It's just mixing, isn't it? And just to be mastered. All systems go, then. Yeah. Great stuff and a great show that night, too. We'll keep you up to date as any new music arrives from the girls. But in the meantime, here's a track from that officially unreleased third album. Although I should say that there was a limited release in France. And if you scout around Discogs and such like online, you can find it. This is Love is a Bitch. <laughs>
That live track was, of course, Wild Child by Wasp, recorded at Donington in 1992. Wasp have never really stopped since the 80s and are due a new album this year, backed up by a full UK and European tour. Hurrah! Time for a trip to the butchers, methinks. And so to Geordie metal pioneers Raven, which features brothers John and Mark Gallagher alongside longtime partner in crime Joe Hasselvander. The band actually formed in the northeast of England in the mid 70s and after years of flogging the club circuit, finally arrived on the scene courtesy of the legendary Neat Records formed by Dave Wood. The label signed a roster of acts that all made an impact and some were cornerstones of the genre. I'm talking about Venom, Tigers of Pantang, and Blitzkrieg, but there were many others. The first album from Raven came out in 1981 and after the band toured it to death, the second album, aptly titled Wiped Out, came out the following year and has been cited as a hugely influential record, especially to bands that went on to be more thrash and speed metal orientated. The US beckoned and the mighty Megaforce Records swept them up for album number three and the band shipped themselves stateside to blitz the live circuit there. In 1984, the Holy Grail arrived when the band signed to Atlantic Records, after which the band stayed in the US. They carried on with reasonable success until the shift in music tastes in the early early 90s, but they still escaped the onslaught of grunge relatively unscathed until disaster struck in 2001, when a work accident left Mark Gallagher with crushed legs and fighting for his life. As we'll hear, he fought back to health and since then they've never looked back, releasing albums periodically and touring when it felt right. They've been with SPV Records for a few years now and have a new album out, Extermination, and you're more than likely to see them roll up to a venue near you soon. I started by asking John about the early days playing the working men's clubs in and around Newcastle. Yeah, it involved actually playing your instrument, <laughs> uh, singing and uh, interacting with an audience, gauging an audience, and, and in some cases dealing with an audience. Uh, and like you said, uh, tough gig. You went in, you played these clubs and pubs and, you know, impressed me. The one great thing about the Newcastle audience is, however, if you are good, they will let you know. The bad thing about the Newcastle audiences is if you are bad, they will also let you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so pretty much from the get-go, being as we are Geordies and our stubborn little bastards and all the rest of it, we kind of figured out the game. You know, you, you go out there, you do your thing, and you've, you've got to have a certain amount of uh, uh, self-awareness, as it were, and put, put it across, and you've got to connect. And, you know, you've got to have a good time, and you've got to entertain, because if you're not going to grab anyone's attention, you know, or, en or entertain them, why should they be interested, or why should they have a good time? And if you'd be playing somewhere near Sunderland, which, as you know, are lifelong rivals of Newcastle in the football end of things, which, you know, looking at it now was rather silly, but back then was like life and death. You know, the DJ would be like, our next football, the boys from Newcastle. And you'd go, boom. And you'd have to go on and face that. Then they'd come up with the beer coasters, and they'd write songs on for you to do, because we'd play half originals and half covers. So you'd look and it would say Highway Star or Born to be Wild. Or more often than not, when it was in Sunderland, it would say Fuck Off. <laughs> so you had that and then you had the punk thing. We'd sometimes play, there was a bar in Sunderland we used to play in. And I remember once the Angelic Upstarts, who were a pretty well-known punk band, cancelled the show and all their crowd came to our gig. And within five minutes, our lightning guy was flying across the stage. <laughs> so, so, some guy just picked him up and threw him. Um, you're literally in this bar, like, face to face, because there was no stage. You were, like, face to face with these guys. And 
you know, you, you had to deliver. Definitely. I mean, and you talk about experience. I mean, you guys toured a, a lot back in the 80s. Support, I mean, supporting, headlining here and, and stateside, which was quite unusual for a lot of the bands that were around at the same time as you. It's a corny question, but which are the tours or the shows that really stand out? Whether it was maybe... You know, maybe those first four shows that you got with Ozzy after the uh, the single came out, or, or maybe the first time you played City Hall. Yeah, I mean, they were both obviously amazing to be able to play with Ozzy. It was, uh, you know, very, very special. Newcastle was the Mayfair with uh, Budgie, who weren't happy because we were throwing guitars into the drum kit, I think. Uh, and they didn't appear on the rest of the gigs. It was just us. We played uh, ooh, Middlesbrough. We played Sunderland, where I got to see Randy Rhodes screw up Iron Man and Paranoid. Eh? Even the best of us can screw up occasionally. Next time around, with all that, playing the City Hall was opening for Girls School, which was an awesome tour all the way through. And Hammersmith was awesome even on that tour too. So, But every stage, there's, there's, it's always a, a high watermark. You know, the first time you play in Europe, the first time you play a festival, which for us was with Motorhead in Wrexham, or Wrexham as Dee Snyder used to call it. <laughs> Bands like Metallica and Anthrax, clearly hugely influenced by you guys. That must give you a, a nice warm glow as well. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, see what you like of us. We're definitely very influential and instrumental in a lot of these bands either you know just taking the inspiration or in some cases literally starting we played a show in 83 in germany at the zeche in Hockham, and every three quarters of the crowd formed a band afterwards you had sodom coroner rage doro pesh was the creator i mean it's ridiculous and all these guys come over, yeah, I was there, that was the greatest thing. So they either started from scratch or they just started and they saw this. And, and now they're all friends and they're all in bands. <laughs> it's great. Um, you touched on it earlier on, I was going to ask. Mark obviously had a horrific accident in 2001. What actually happened? And did you ever think that that was possibly it for you guys? Well, I thought at one point that may have been it for him. Right. You know, they basically didn't think he was going to pull through from it. Uh, what had happened was he had to go somewhere early in the morning. Some idiot was driving with lights off and T-boned him in the car. Mark's head bounces off the glass. He's got a huge freaking egg on his head. Goes to this job site to, uh, I guess, shake some guy down for money or whatever the hell it was. Meet a friend of his. Couldn't wear the, you know, on the site you got to wear a hat. He couldn't wear the hat, so he just has his baseball cap on. And it's windy. And the wind blows his hat off, and he goes to get the hat, and the wind blows again, and he goes to get the hat, and the wind blows again, and he goes to get the hat, and then the entire building falls down on his legs. And if he hadn't have had the accident with the head, he would die, because it would have just crushed him completely. So he's lying there with his feet the wrong way around, with a piece of rebar through one leg, and with the calf muscle completely detached from the other, and his knees all messed up, and... They weren't sure whether he was going to pull through due to lack of blood. And then they were going to cut his legs off. And then they were going to cut one leg off. And then he was never going to walk again. La, 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 la. And he just said, sod the lot of us and fought back from it, which is incredibly inspiring. It was a few years later, we got to play some gigs with him in a wheelchair. And it was like, well, if this is what it is, this is what it is. Yeah, let me start writing. And bit by bit, he fought his way back. 
I read recently, uh, well, not recently, a while ago. I think you and I are in in, in agreement with the uh, the fact that I think Stay Hard is, is 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 a pretty good record. It's a much talked about record of Ravens, but I think it's a good one. I think it, the package back in '86 was the one that, that went off the rails a bit. Um, yeah. Eddie Kramer produced that record, and, and I'm a big fan of Eddie Kramer. So I'm I'm curious, did he get it wrong, or was he working to a mandate from the label? No, I think we all got it wrong. That's what it was. You have a band who's like a, a crazy live band, and the drummer decides he wants to do the entire album by click track playing by himself. So in, instantly, that, that whole feel is killed. So you got that. So you got a live band playing one at a time. You've got Eddie Kramer, who's cut his teeth. He's known for improvisational in the studio, crazy live stuff. Jimi Hendrix, you know, whoever, Led Zeppelin, capturing a moment, boom, boom, boom. And here he is doing what amounts to be like a techno metal record. That, and then, you know, the mandate from the studio, you know, do a cover song, don't care what it is, clean it up, make it pretty for the radio, blah, blah, blah. So you listen back, there's four or five really good songs, two or three stinkers, two or three that, well, if it'd been done differently, you know, who knows. Overall, great sound record. Very of its time, but uh, very polished, very well put together, a lot of craft. But craft don't mean nothing. you got to have heart and soul. That's why the first albums have got rotten sound, technically speaking, but it, it's a different animal altogether because you've got that heart and soul and that uh, honesty to it. Neat records, obviously, legendary label for, for this genre of music. What was it like being on that roster back at the, at the start? Is it legendary or notorious? I'm not sure. <laughs> You tell me. Oh, boy. Well, it was basically like the, being in a TV show. It was basically like only fools and horses. <laughs> I mean, if it was a TV show, there would have been a back door and Dave Wood would have been running out of it every time we went in to talk to him, basically. Dave, are you there? Yeah. All right, we're going to come over to discuss stuff. Can you pick up some milk on the way? Yeah, sure. Pick up milk. You hand the milk. Oh, thanks. Well, you're going to give me the money? Well, how much was it? 23 pence. 23 pence. So how much milk is these days? Boy, I remember that. Dave, give me the freaking money, you cheap bastard. Right, and not a microcosm of what was going on with everything else. I mean, it was so shoestring, cheapskate, bare bones. However, having said that, uh, we were incredibly lucky that things happened the way they did. Because being in Newcastle, we might as well have been on the moon. And Neat Records happening to have the... Tigers of Pantang single, get out there and get to the right people and get heard, and the fifth single, and then we were the third one. I mean, talk about, you know, luck, being in the right place at the right time. So all those things notwithstanding, it was, I mean, very special, you know, it really was. Shoot forward then, let's talk extermination. Um, the good news, I suppose I would say for fans, is, I mean, it is to me, it's, it is a classic Raven record, if that makes sense. It, it sounds polished, but not in a bad way or to the point of losing any rawness, if that makes sense. Did it turn out how you wanted it? Oh, yeah, exactly. It's exactly what we wanted and more. I mean, the idea was to have an album that was kind of like all for one meets Architect of Fear in a back alley and they beat the crap out of each other. And that's kind of what we got. It's got the strong songs that were arranged in a manner where there was nothing extraneous. It was all powerful. Uh, we let them breathe a little bit rather. You know, if there was like a really complicated little part to show off that we were clever, I would say, yeah, not so much. Let's, you know, cut to the quick. 
showcase the riff, showcase the beat, make it work, make it powerful, uh, which is, of course, what we did way back when on All For One. And then the sound, this is the best guitar sound we've ever had. And, you know, we're playing metal, he got up a good guitar sound. And this is the real deal. This is, you know, the only thing the equivalent is the heavy end of Arbitechnophia. So we've got that. The songs are cohesive, but they're diverse. So they breathe. There's a lot of music on the record, but there again, it's been a long time since we did an album. So we felt, you know, we owed it to the fans to, to make that work. And overall, it's it's got the feel, because again, we in the studio, no click track, banging it out, no tricks. And it's also got the sound. We worked again with Kevin 131 in his studio, uh, Assembly Line Studios, Vienna, Virginia, where we did Walk Through Fire. And I mean, that was a great record and we just felt we had to raise the ball, and I think we pulled it off. In terms of the songs and when they were written, I'm always curious, because obviously bands from back in the day and also big chunks of time between albums, was this all kind of done from scratch together, or was there stuff that you'd been working on a while, or even stuff from, from a way back, or what? Well, there's, there's, always a, there's always a little holdover, but you always want to try and write more stuff new. I mean, some of the riffs in Tomorrow have been around a while. Some of the riffs in No Surrender have been around a while. But uh, everything else pretty much was written in a like an 18-month period before now. All came together from there. But uh, you do that. I mean, uh, you sit there and, you know, you're in the mood. You just start playing and you just, you know, fill what was in the day cassette tapes and now it's your digital recorder gazillions of riffs and then you listen back and you might listen back hey, I mean I've, I've got boxes of cassettes going back to 82 uh, and eventually sometimes I look back and go oh yeah I remember that one I remember that one and that's why we're not using them okay great right <laughs> and occasionally you'll say you know there was that one song it was really cool but the chorus sucked what if we took that riff from here and glued it with this one and hey sometimes it works you know because a good riff it's a good riff. There's no, you know, there's no sell-by date. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> uh, I know you're supposed to lose a few notes at the top and bottom as you get older, but I, I must admit I couldn't notice any signs of that with you, especially on, well, Silver Bullet, for example. How are the pipes bearing up? Pipes are great. I can get a A6 very easily, no problem. The top of my range, I believe, was a C6 back in the day, which is a bit more of a stretch, but I can cover 99.99999% of what I had back in 1981, so I'm more than happy about that. You've been out on the road a fair bit the last year, and, and, and there's more this as well. How are you? Are you finding a new audience for Raven these days? Yeah, I mean, you, you've noticed that over like the last five or six years, there's a whole new generation. There really is. So some shows you've got literally grandfathers, sons and grandsons and or daughters floating around. And in some places like we just played uh, Columbia, it's all young kids. All young kids. It's it's deja vu. It's totally Holland nineteen eighty one. They're all there with their denim jackets with patches, totally knowledgeable about all the bands and totally passionate about what's going on. Thanks to John for taking the time. Here is track one, side one from that new album, Extermination. This is Destroy All Monsters.
Wheels of Steel, of course, by Saxon, recorded from the very first Monsters of Rock festival at Castle Donington way back in August 1980, 35 years ago. Marvellous. Finally, Madame X, who were formed in Detroit in 1981 by two sisters, Roxy and Maxine Petrucci. Joined by bassist Chris Dolliber, affectionately known as Godzilla, and vocalist Brett Kaiser, they did all the right things and were this close to making the big time. I'll keep the introduction short as the interview goes through the whole sordid history, but would like to point out that sharp-eyed listeners will have sussed that aside from being a celebration of Castle Donington, this show's theme is, of course, siblings. Who said we didn't plan these shows? Over to Brett, who explains how the old gang got back together after 30 years. Well, the whole thing started when Roxy, when Vixen was playing at Firefest, and she noticed a lot of uh, Madame X memorabilia coming across the table for her to sign. So she told her, she asked her sister, Maxine, she said, why don't we put something out for the fans because we have a lot of support over in Europe and England and everywhere, and that we were on, you know, really not known I mean, I was getting a lot of hits on Facebook from people all over, Australia, Japan, you know, England, um, Sweden, everywhere. So we said, sure, we've been writing our songs and sending them over uh, Dropbox, you know, files and stuff. And then she would send me something and I'd turn it into a song and I'd send her ideas. And yeah, that's cool. Let me add this to it. So we were doing that for a little while. And uh, I said, you know what? I said, we got to get Godzilla back in here into the fold because it's not really you know what I, I mean i appreciate all the 80s bands that that are playing still but it's not all original members most of them you know right what i mean i mean it, it's a it's a, a throw off of the original bands so we got we thawed godzilla out because you know he was frozen in ice for whatever 30 years <laughs> and for, for anybody listening this is chris Dolliver, presumably yeah yeah chris Dolliver and godzilla <laughs> reform so he said yeah i'm in yeah so we started with with chris back in and me and chris wrote most of the songs on the madame x we reserve the right record so we started writing and he had this song called another 80s rock song and it was just perfect i mean for the time that we were doing this there's nothing wrong with another 80s rock song i mean how how perfect could that be so we went in this they went into the studio because they record in detroit and i'm out in phoenix arizona so anyway long story short i did my vocal tracks here in phoenix at the salt mine which is a top-notch studio out here they put it together we released it i believe it was in may or something like that in the meanwhile johannes from sweden rock saw posts that were being made and called Maxine and said, is this the original lineup? Hmm. All four original members. And she was like, yeah. She, and so he said, we want you on Sweden Rock. Yeah, you're right. It is very rare to get all four originals in any kind of reunion. What was it like when you first, all four of you, got together in the same room? And how long had it been? It had to have been about 30 years. Um, the last thing we ever did was we, rec- we went in and recorded some demos for a new record that we were going to do and i think that was 90 89 90 or something like that and that was just like two or three days and then i flew back to phoenix but i haven't heard word seen you know i mean i follow on facebook what the what the girls are doing and what you know and chris i haven't heard from him and then when we started talking it was just like where we picked off <laughs> where we picked where we left off you know we picked right up so then i flew to detroit before sweden because we were going to do a, like a little couple of rehearsals and we had this um little warm-up gig at diesel lounge diesel concert lounge just for a few friends and family but i gotta tell you when, when we went seeing everybody again it was you know we're, we're family mm. you know 
we went from 1982 to 1984 on the road and we played six nights a week, four or five sets a night, every day except five days off each year for Christmas. So let's go back to when you guys got signed. Uh, there was to Jet Records, and it was Don Arden who signed you, wasn't it? Sharon Osborne's father, um, he signed you personally, didn't he? Yeah, what happened was um, we had an unknown gig first at a place called Madame Wong's West, who loved the band and said, oh my God, you guys don't change. Stay in your stage gear. We have to go up to the Rainbow Barn Grill. Now, everybody's heard of the Rainbow, right? And right. All the rockers go there and everything. So we walked into the Rainbow, and it was like, holy you know, everybody's like, who's that? Oh, my God. You know, because, I mean, you can imagine Godzilla with the hair, like, you know, up to here, you know, <laughs> teased out, the girls looking good, you know, and, and we're walking in here like we own the joint, you know. And we ran into an A&R guy from Jet Records, uh, Robert Street. I think it was the next couple of days. We played the Troubadour, and he brings Don Arden um, down to see us. Wow. And Don Arden is Sharon's dad. Right. You know, and he uh, uh, managed Ozzy and Black Sabbath, ELO. Uh, Air Supply, Lita Ford, you know, I mean, he, he's big in the business, you know, or a big reputation in the business, let it, may I say, you know, as again, you know, kind of the godfather of rock, right. you know, um, so he came down and he was like, oh my God, you're my greatest find ever, oh, sorry <laughs> about the English accent, <laughs> I was just trying to do Don, um, he goes, it's fucking brilliant. I'm signing you. And next thing you know, we're in there doing videos. We did two MTV videos, and, and the ball started rolling. And then we went to England. Then we were there, you know, and we played the marquee. Things were going good. You know, Don said he was going to do this, he was, and he did it, and, you know. And uh, in England, after we did the ECT show and the marquee, we were set to do the Dominion Theater. And um, the, the promoters were worried about pre-sale tickets. The promoters panicked. Don said, you know, well, you know, we can't have him sitting over there doing nothing. So they came up with this, uh, there's a bereavement in, in my family. My sister uh, passed away or whatever. But the funny part about it is I only had three brothers and I didn't have a sister. So right. that was the thing. Yeah, that was the thing to the media or whatever. I don't know. You know, we weren't, we weren't even in the loop of all this happening. And then we went back to L.A. and nobody was telling us anything. We didn't know what was going on. Right. Well, at the time, what was happening was, I guess, Don was being indicted or something for hanging somebody out of a window or something or threatening or beating right. somebody up. I, I don't know what it was. The record label shut their doors, and Madame X is sitting in L.A. going, what the heck's going on? Anytime you're in, this, in a two-bedroom apartment in Burbank, sitting around doing nothing, well, there's going to be friction. Hmm. So in the meantime, during this... Vixen was pursuing Roxy, and I was just getting go back to New York before I hurt somebody, you know, because I was getting very frustrated and very angry hmm. and stuff like that. So I went back to New York and started my band back up, Kaiser, with my brother Bruce on guitar, so, so I can play, so I can keep singing and playing. Hmm. So Roxy joined Vixen. Maxine and Chris kept it going with uh, some player changes, you know, um, different members joined, different members left. So we're playing Phoenix, Arizona, conquering out here. So I stopped playing music for a while to raise my son. I was a single dad, and uh, I didn't want to be on the road. Dad send me pictures of my kid growing up, so just to do that. A couple years go by, and this happens. Here we are back together. And the reason I can only say is it's supposed to be. You know, I don't have any regrets of anything I've turned down or anything I didn't do. It's the fact that maybe we were supposed to take that time for each and every each of us to mature 
do our skills, get better, whatever, and then come back now and conquer what we didn't have back then. So this is the only way I look at things. And we went to Sweden and conquered. I mean, it was amazing. I could not believe what happened in Sweden. We were, I was blown away. I was totally humbled and blown away. And just at the people, everybody, people flew in from Australia, Japan, everywhere to see Madame X. The guy in Madame X, uh, the guy in Sweden Rock said to me, he goes, you don't really realize how big you are out here, do you? And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't. So it's the last day of the festival. And the guy goes, you know, I don't want you guys to be disappointed. Is you're playing the last day of the festival at 12.45 in the afternoon. You might get a thousand people or so. We were like, you know what? We're just jazzed to be here. So bring it on. And we were ready. So we're approaching showtime. We're doing uh, interviews, um, photo shoots, and meet and greets before the show. And I'm hearing in the background, Madam X, Madam. Now, mind you, we're a little ways from the stage, mm -hmm. and I'm hearing this. So I'm like, you guys hear that? And they're like, yeah. So it's time to go on and we're getting closer to the stage and it's getting louder. We look out there through the back of the stage and it's just a sea of people. The guy from Sweden Rock goes, yeah, I know. There's like 13,000 to 15,000 people out there. We were like, holy cow. As soon as I hit the stage and ran out on stage, I have to tell you, the electricity that shot through my body from the people, the energy, was so amazing I I stayed high like that for two weeks I didn't want to leave Sweden <laughs> I mean it was just amazing I was a walking erection when I got on stage I gotta tell you it was just like swing you know what I mean I mean I was like oh my god and these people were singing all the words to the whole album we reserve the right even another 80s rock song I don't know how but they were. And the reason why I know they knew the words is because I sang the wrong words on the first line of high in high school. And I got this guy looking at me, shaking his head like, oh, my God, I can't believe you forgot the words to your own song. <laughs> it was amazing. And then after the show was even more, they had a, a, a sign-in session that they had to turn people away because there was too many people that wanted Madame X sign autographs and stuff. It was amazing. I wish that we could do that every day. You know what I mean? I want to meet Mr. Dues so I can get some change back because I've been paying him for a long time and I want some change, damn it. <laughs> Good to hear. You guys look great. Chris, uh, Chris's hair, I think he needs to do a bit of work on that because I never quite understood how he could get it to stand up the way it did before. Um, that, but... was a can of, that, was, that would be a can of Aquanet. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> That's what it was back then. The girls teased up his hair, a full can of Aquanet spray held that hair up for at least two or three songs before he started smashing his bass on his head and crashing down the, the helmet. This this time, you know, it's today, so you know he did a little, little but he's he, he went to Sweden with six bases, he came home with two. Hey, that's rock and roll, right? Oh man, he split his head open, he broke his hand. He went nuts. I mean, Godzilla was unchained in in Sweden, I gotta tell you. I was afraid to get near him. I was going to get killed with that chain strap of his or pieces flying. We have a, a huge number of people that listen in the US, so I don't want to be too UK specific, but there was this TV show uh, and, and we didn't remember we had four TV channels. Okay. Right. 
and right. and metal and rock wasn't played on any of them. Then this show came along. It was called ECT, and it was for everybody who's listening. It was three bands a week, three or four bands a week. They played two or three songs each if they were lucky, unless they were on last, at which point it would probably overrun and they'd get cut. Something crazy. Strange studio. People dressed as like Stone Age, Stone Age people and uh, bands doing their thing. So if you were on that, you know, you probably had three or four million people watching that, maybe, and therefore they're going to remember it. And Madame X uh, did that. I would imagine we talked about it briefly earlier on, but I would imagine that was a fairly unique experience, even for a band that had done the rounds a bit. Amazing show. Um, (laughs) That was our Spinal Tap moment. And let me explain what I meant by that. Um, First of all, everybody who put that show on was amazing. You know, besides the bands... The people that behind the scenes, everybody was so good to us and everything. So we get to this big, I mean, and it was a big stage stop, you know, uh, mm. thing that they built, this whole thing. So we're in the dressing room and it's, you know, we go through the rehearsals and we go back to get ready and we go to get to the stage. Now, you remember in Spinal Tap, they couldn't find the stage. <laughs> yeah. You know, that happened to us. I swear to you, we were, we were walking through and... We're like, you guys, we're lost. And there was a guy at the end of the hallway, I swear to you. He was like, excuse me, can you tell us how to get onto the stage? And he's like, well, see, what you do is you go down there left, and you make a right, and you go left again. And at that moment, we stopped in our tracks, and we looked at each other and went, final tap. I mean, it was just so funny. We were pushing on the outer walls to see where the doorway was. You know, I think Magnum was on or somebody was on and we're like pushing the walls and moving. <laughs> Madame X must be lost. They're back there. So somebody go get them. So they came and got us and they, we found the thing. But but the show was amazing. I mean, it was a great show. I still watch it. I mean, we have it on tape and stuff and it was, it was amazing. And Motorhead, you know, Lemmy, we hung out in England and uh, oh my God, the man's a ma- maniac. I think I remember one night we were hanging out in England. It was me, Lemmy, and Jake E. Lee when he was with Ozzy at the time. Right. And we were hanging out in this pub, and he's like, come on, mate. You know, he's drinking this thick brown beer, <laughs> Guinness, yeah. out of the thing, and it's going ploop, ploop, ploop. I'm like, what is that? You know, because you got to understand something. I've never been to England. I, I don't know, you know. So I, I said, can I have just like a regular beer? And he starts laughing. So he goes, give him a lager, you know, and stuff like that. So we, we had a blast. I mean, such a blast over in England, man. And because I had the black and white hair, right. it was more, more identifiable. I mean, we went to a couple of record stores and we, had, and we were eating at Burger King. I mean, there was at least 25 to 50 kids every day following, asking for autographs. I mean, the greatest feeling in the world. Yeah. Well, one of the greatest feelings in the world. Right. Personally, one of my great memories, and I can relive it now thanks to YouTube, and I have to say thanks just for me, and I'm sure for a lot of people, there aren't many occasions when you see somebody catch a dwarf in a rock music <laughs> in a rock music video, but you did it in uh, High End High School, and uh, amazing. Really, big ups to you, man. That was fantastic. I love it. Well, let me tell you something about that. You know when you do a video, you do it like 50 times to get all the different angles. <laughs> yeah. So I had to catch him like 50 times. Well, about the 17th time or whatever, the little guy was heavy. I mean, he was heavy. You know, they were all solid. So I dropped them. <laughs> but we actually had a casting call 
for what what is politically correct little people or, uh, 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 you know yeah is it i guess little people I, I, I guess so i think that's what it is is it little people yeah it's little people well we had a casting call and there were like 50 of them online with their resumes and everything and so we had to look at them you know <laughs> and we picked uh I forget his name. I think it was Chris or something like that. Uh, no, that was the bass player. <laughs> not, not a little person. Yeah. So anyway, we picked him because he was an Ewok in Star Wars. Okay. And we kind of dug Star Wars. So we picked him and he was great. I mean, we actually, when we were going to Sweden, we, we were looking on Craigslist for, for a little guy so that could run out on stage with a T-shirt on and, and get people going. But we couldn't find one in time. <laughs> They were all like midget porn or something like that. That you know, and and we, you know, we didn't want that. No, I mean no. we were we were outrageous, but you know we're older now. <laughs> Thank you to Brett. I nearly burst a lung, as you probably gathered on more than one occasion during that interview. It was hilarious. One of the best chats I've ever had. So thanks again. It was brilliant. And we're looking forward to a new album, hopefully from Adam X in 2015. But in the meantime, just when you thought you'd heard all the 80s rock songs, here's another one.
Trooper, of course, by Iron Maiden, recorded at Castle Donington in 1998. And that's all we have for this month. I hope you enjoyed it. Please do check us out at ClassicRockPodcast.com and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RockPodcast. Have a great month, and if you're at Download, maybe I'll see you there. Bye for now. Wait, love-